Okay, Ashley Brock here with Diane Palmer's book, The Last Mercenary. It's the next book that I think should be read before I get into the Long Tall Texan series. And like I said, I'm going to read the back of the book to give you a brief description of what the book's about. And if you think you're not going to like it, you can just skip this book. So here's the back of the book. Definition. Micah still was a mystery, as silent as stone and just as intractable. Not even those closest to him knew the details of his life, which was exactly how it had to be, because Micah was a mercenary, and his lies protected those he loved, or they had, until the young beauty he'd left behind in Jacobsville, Texas, was kidnapped by his sworn enemy. Micah was prepared to go to the ends of the earth to rescue Callie Kirby, but he wasn't prepared for her sweet innocence to be more dangerous than the evil he hunted. He could protect Callie from ruthless drug lords, but who would protect her from Micah? There's the brief introduction. So, right now, if you don't seem like you're going to be interested in the book, you could stop this right now and move on to the next one. So here is Diane Palmer's book, The Last Mercenary, Chapter 1. It had been a jarring encounter. Kelly Kirby felt chilled, and it wasn't just because it was November in South Texas. She watched the stepbrother she worshipped walked away from her as casually as if he moved around an obstacle in his path. In many ways, that was what Kelly was to Micah Steele. He hated her, of course. He hated her mother more. The two Kirby women had alienated him from the father he adored. Jack Steele had found his only son wrapped up in the arms of his young wife, Callie's mother, and an ugly scene had followed. Callie's mother Anna was sent packing, so was Micah, living most living mostly at his father's home while he finished his last year residency. That had been six years ago, and the breach still hadn't healed. Jack still rarely, rarely spoke of his son. That suited Callie. The very sound of his name was painful to her. Speaking to him took nerve, too. He'd once called her a gold digger, like her mother, among other insults. Words could hurt could hurt he always his always had but she was 22 now and she could hold her own with him that didn't mean that her knees didn't shake and her heartbeat didn't do a tango while she was holding her own she stood beside her little second-hand yellow vw and watched micah bend into his formidable height to open the door of the black convertible porsche he drove his thick short blonde hair caught the sunlight and gleamed like gold he had eyes so dark they looked black, and he rarely smiled. She didn't understand why he'd come home to Jacobsville, Texas, in the first place. He lived somewhere in the Bahamas. Jack had said that Micah inherited a trust fund from his late mother, but he'd sounded curious about his son's luxurious lifestyle. The trust, he told Callie privately, wasn't nearly enough to keep Micah in the Armani suits he wore and the exotic sports car he brought new, year, new every year. Perhaps Mike had finished his residency somewhere else and was in private practice somewhere. He'd gone to medical school, but she remembered that there had been some trouble in his last year's residency over a lawsuit, statement from a surgical procedure he refused to do. Neither she nor his father knew the details, even when he'd been living with his father. Michael was a clam. After he left, the silence about his life was complete. He glanced back at Callie. Even at a distance, he looked worried. Her heart jumped in a spite 
in spite of her best efforts to control it. He'd had that effect on her from the beginning, from the first time she'd ever seen him. She'd only been in his arms once, from too much alcohol. He'd been furious, throwing her away from him before she could drag his beautiful hand, hard mouth down onto hers. The aftermath of her uncharacteristic boldness had been humiliating and painful. It wasn't a pleasant memory. She wondered why he was so concerned about her. It was probably that he was concerned for his father, and she was his primary caretaker. That had to be it. She turned her attention back to her own car. With a jerk of his hand, he opened the door of the Porsche, climbed in, and shot off like a teenager with his first car. The police would give it get him for that she thought if they saw it for a few seconds she smiled at the image of big tall sexy micah being put put in a jail cell with a man twice his size who liked blondes michael was so immaculate so sophisticated and that she couldn't imagine him ruffled nor intimidated for all his size he didn't seem to be a physical man but he was highly intelligent he spoke five languages fluently and was a gourmet cook she sighed sadly and got into her own little cart and started the engine she didn't know why michael was worried that she and his father might be in danger from the drug lord everyone locally was talking about she knew the jacobsville mercenary side parks and eb scott had been instrumental in closing down a big drug distribution center and that the drug lord manuel lopez had reputedly targeted the them for revenge but that didn't explain micah's connection he told her that he tipped law enforcement officers to a big drug cargo of lopez's that has subsequently been captured and lopez was out for blood she couldn't picture her so straight-laced stepbrother doing something so dangerous micah wasn't the sort of man who got involved in violence of any sorts certainly he was a far cry from the two mercenaries who shut down lopez's operation Maybe he'd given the information to the feds for Cy and Ebb. Yes, that could have happened somehow. She remembered what he said about the danger to his family, and she felt chilled all over again. She'd load that shotgun when she and Jack got home, she told herself firmly, and she'd shoot it if she had to. She would t protect her stepfather with her last breath. As she turned down the street and drove out of town toward the adult daycare center where Jack still stayed following his stroke, she wondered where Micah was going in such a hurry. He didn't spend a lot of time in the States. He hadn't for years. He must have been visiting Ebb Scott or Cy Parks. She knew they were friends. Odd friends for a tame man like Micah, she pondered. Even if they ran cattle now, they'd been professional mercenaries in the past. She wondered what Micah could possibly have in common with such men. She was so lost in thought that she didn't notice that she was being followed by a dark, late-model car. It didn't really occur to her that anyone would think of harming her, despite her brief argument with Micah just now. She was a not nonity she had short, dark hair and pale blue eyes and a nice but unremarkable figure. She was simple simply ordinary she never attracted attention from men and mike had found her totally resistible from the day they met resentable from the day they met why not he could have any woman he wanted she'd seen him with really beautiful women when she and her mother had first come to live with jack Steele. besides there was the age thing callie was barely 22 micah was 36 he didn't like adolescence he said that to callie just after that disastrous encounter among other things some of the things he'd said still made her blush. He compared her to her mother, and he hadn't been kind. Afterwards, she'd been convinced that he was having an affair with her mother, who didn't deny it when Callie asked. It had tarnished him in her eyes and made her hostile. She still was. It was something she couldn't help. She idolized Micah until she saw him kissing her mother. It had killed something inside her, made her cold. She wondered if he'd been telling the truth when he said he hadn't seen her mother recently. It hurt to think of him with Anna. She stopped at a crossroads, her eyes darting from one side 
stop sign to another, looking for oncoming traffic. While she was engrossed in that activity, the car following her on the deserted road suddenly shot ahead and cut across in front of her, narrowly missing her front bumper. She gasped and hit the brake, forgetting to depress the clutch at the same time. The engine died. She reached over frequently to lock the passenger door, and at the same time, three slim, dark, formidable-looking men surrounded her car. The taller of the three jerked open the driver's door and pulled her roughly out of the car. She fought, but a hand with a handkerchief was clapped over her nose and mouth, and she moaned as the chloroform hit her nostrils and knocked her out flat. As she was placed quickly into the back seat of the other car, another man climbed into her little car and moved it onto the side of the road. He joined his colleagues. The dark car turned around and accelerated back the way it had come, while Callie, with Callie unconscious in the back seat. Micah still roared away from the scene of his latest disagreement with Callie, his chiseled mouth a thin line above his square jaw. His big hands gripped the steering wheel with cold precision as he cursed his own luck of communica lack of communication skills. He'd put her back up against back up almost at once by being disparaging about the neat beige suit she was wearing with a plain white blouse. She never dressed to be noticed, only to be efficient. She was that, he had to admit. She was so unlike him. He seemed conservative in his dress and manner. It was a deception. He was unconventional to the core, while Kelly could have written a book on proper behavior. She hadn't believed him about the danger she and her stepfather, his father, could find themselves in. Manuel Lopez wasn't the man to cross, and he wanted blood. He was going to go to the easiest target for that. He thinking how vulnerable Callie would be in a desperate situation. She hated snakes, but he'd seen her go out of her way to injure one. Not to injure one. She was like that about everything. She was a sucker for a hard luck story, an easy mark for a con artist. Her heart was as soft as wool when she was sensitive, overly sensitive. He didn't like remembering how he hurt her in the past. He did remember that he hadn't eaten anything since breakfast. He stopped to have a sandwich at a local fast food joint. Then he drove himself back to the motel he was staying at. He'd been helping Epscott and Cy Parks get rid of Lopez's fleeting drug distribution center just nights ago. They shut down the whole operation and sent most of Lopez's people to jail. Lopez's high-tech equipment, all his vehicles, and even the expensive track of land they set sat on had been confiscated under the RICO statutes, and that didn't even include the massive shipment of marijuana that had also been taken away. Micah himself had tipped off the authorities to the largest shipment of cocaine in the history of South Texas, which the Coast Guard with DEA support had appropriated appropriated before it even got to the Mexican coast. Lopez wouldn't have to dig too deeply to know that Micah had cost him not only the multi-million dollar shipment, but the respect of the cartel in Colombia as well. Lopez was in big trouble with his bosses. Micah Steele was the reason for that. Lopez couldn't get to Micah, but he could get to Micah's family because they were vulnerable. The knowledge of that scared him to death. He took a shower and stretched out on the bed in a towel, his hands under his damp blonde hair, while he stared at the ceiling and wondered how he could keep an eye on Callie Kirby and Jack Steele without their knowing. A private bodyguard would stick out like a sore thumb in a small Texas community like Jacobsville. On the other hand, Micah couldn't do it himself without drawing Lopez's immediate retaliation. It was a difficult determination. He couldn't make himself go back to, bah to the Bahamas while he knew his father and Callie were in danger. On the other hand, he couldn't stay here. Living in a small town would drive him nuts, even if he had done it in the past before he went off to medical school. While he was worrying about what to do next, the telephone rang. Still, he said on a yawn, he was tired. Here's Zeb, came to reply. I just had a phone call from Rodrigo.
He added mentioning a Mexican national who'd gone undercover for them in Lopez's organization. He'd since been discovered and was now hiding in Aruba. What's happened? Micah asked with a feeling of dread, not in his stomach. He had some news from a friend of his cousin. A woman who knows Lopez. Have you seen Kelly Kirby today? Bass asked. Yes, Micah said. About two hours ago, just as she was leaving her office. Why? Rodrigo said Lopez was going to snatch her. He sounded as if they meant to do it pretty soon. You might want to check on her. I went to see her. I warned her. You know Lopez. Have reminded him solemnly. It won't do her any good even if she's armed. Lopez's men are professionals. I'll do some telephoning and get back to you. Micah said quickly, cursing his own lack of haste about safeguarding Callie. Young up. He hung up and phoned the adult daycare center. Callie would surely be there by now. He could warn her. But the woman who answered the phone said that Callie hadn't arrived yet. She was two hours late, and her stepfather was becoming anxious. Did Micah know where she was? He avoided a direct answer and promised to phone her back. Then, with a feeling of utter dread, he climbed into the porch and drove past Kep's law office, taking the route Callie would have taken to the adult daycare center. His heart skipped a beat when he reached the first intersection outside the city. At this time of day, there was very little traffic. But there on the side of the road was Kelly's yellow VW, parked on the grass with the driver's door wide open. He pulled in behind it and got out, cursing as he noted that the keys were still in the ignition and her purse was laying on the passenger seat. There was no note, no anything. He stood there, shell-shocked and cold. Lopez had Kelly. Lopez had Kelly. After a minute, he phoned Ebba on his car phone. What do you want me to do? Eb asked once after Mike had finished speaking. Mike's head was spinning. He couldn't think. He ran a hand through his sticker. Nothing. You're newly married like I. I can't put any more women in the firing line. Let me handle this. What will you do, Eb asked. My man Bonjo's in Atlanta visiting his brother, but I'll have him meet me in Belize tomorrow. If you have a number for Rodrigo, call it and tell him to meet me in Belize, too, at the Sapsar Bar. Meanwhile, I'll call in the rest of my team. He was remembering phone numbers and jotting them down, even as he spoke. They're taking a holiday, but I can round them up. I'll go in after. Ebb suggested calling the chief of police, Chad Blake, because he had contacts everywhere, including relatives in positions of power. One was even a Texas Ranger. Micah couldn't argue. Ebb wanted to tell the man, let him. He was going to get Callie while she was still alive. Just remember that somebody in law enforcement is feeding information to Lopez and act accordingly. I've got to make arrangements about Dad before I leave. I'm sorry, Micah. It's my fault. Micah ground out furiously. I shouldn't have left her alone for a minute. I warned her. But what good did that do? Stop that, Eb said once. You're no good to Kelly unless you can think clearly. If you need any sort of help, logic, logistically or otherwise, I have contacts of my own in Mexico. I'll need ordinance. Mike said it once. Can you set it up with your man in Belize and arrange to have him meet us at the border cafe we used to use for staging ground? I can. Tell me what you want. Mike outlined the equipment he wanted, including an old DC-3 to get them into the Yucatan, from which his men would drop with parachutes at night. You can fly in under the radar in that, Ebkosh. But the DEA will assume you're trying to bring in drugs if they spot you. It'll be tricky. Damn. Michael was remembered that someone in federal authority was on Lopez's payroll. I have a contact near Lopez, but he left the country. Rodrigo's cousin might help, but he's been, been risking his life after the latest tip he fed Rodrigo. So basically, we've got nobody in Lopez's organization. And if I use my regular contacts, I risk alerting the DEA. Who can I trust? 
I know someone, Eb said after him. I'll take care of that. Find me when you're on the ground in Cancun. And make sure you've got global positioning equipment with you. Will do. Thanks, Eb. What are friends for? I'll be in touch. Good luck. Thanks. Want me to call Cy? No, I'll go by his place on my way out of town and catch him up. He hung up. He didn't want to leave Callie's car with the door open and her purse in it, but he didn't want to be accused of tampering with evidence later. He compromised by locking it and closing the door. The police would find it eventually because they patrolled this way. They'd take it from there, but he didn't want anyone in authority to know he was going after Cali. Someone had warned Lopez about the recent devastating DEA raid on his property. That person was still around and Micah didn't want anyone to guess that he knew about Cali's kidnapping. It was hard to think clearly, but he had to. He knew that Cali had a cell phone. He didn't know if she had it with her. If Cali had the phone and Lopez's people didn't know, she might be able to get a call out. He didn't flatter himself that she'd call him, but she might try to call the adult daycare center if she could. It wasn't much, but it gave him hope. He drove to the center for one mad instant. He thought about speaking to his father in person, but that would only complicate matters and upset the old man. They hadn't spoken in years. He couldn't risk causing his father to have another stroke or a second heart attack by telling him that Callie had been kidnapped. He went to the office of the nurse, nursing director of the center and said and took her into his confidence since she agreed with him that it might be best if they kept the news from his father, and they formulated a cover story that was convincing. It was easy enough for him to arrange for a nurse to go home with his father to Callie's apartment every night and to drive him to the center each day. They decided to tell Jack Steele that one of Callie's elderly aunts had been hurt in a car wreck, and she had to go to Houston to see about her. Kelly had no elderly aunts, but Jack wouldn't know that. It would placate him and keep him from worrying. Then Micah would have to arrange for someone to protect him from any attempts by Lopez on his life. He went back to his motel and spent the rest of the night and part of the next day making international phone calls. He knew that Chet Blake, the police chief, would call on the FBI once Kelly's disappearance was noted, and that wasn't a bad idea. They would, of course, try to notify Micah, but they wouldn't be able to find him. That meant that Lopez's men in law enforcement would think Micah didn't know that his stepsister had been kidnapped, and that would work to his benefit. But if Lopez's men carried Kelly down to the Ukraine, Tan near Cancun, which was where the drug lord lived these days, it was going to become a nightmare of diplomacy for any U.S. agency that tried to get her out of his clutches despite international law enforcement cooperation. Micah didn't have that problem. He had Bonjo, one of his best mercenaries with him in the States, took time to track down the rest of his team, but by dawn he managed it and arranged to meet them in Belize that night. He hated waiting that long, and he worried about what Callie was going to endure in the meantime, but any sort of assault took plenty, especially on a fortress like Lopez's home. To approach it by sea was impossible. Lopez had several fast boats and guards patrolling the sea wall night and day. It would have to be a land-based attack, which was where the DC-3 came in. The trusty old planes were practically indestructible. He couldn't get Callie's ordeal out of his mind. He'd kept tabs on her for years without her knowledge. She dated one out-of-towner auditor and a young deputy sheriff, but nothing came of either relationship. She seemed to balk at close contact with men. That was disturbing to him because he'd made some nasty allegations about her morals, being as loose as her mother's after she'd come on to him under the mistletoe four years ago. He didn't think words would be damaging, but perhaps they were. Kelly had a reputation locally for being as pure as fresh snow. In a small town where everybody knew everything about their neighbors, you couldn't hide a scandal. That made him feel even more guilty, because Kelly had been sweet and uninhibited until he'd gone to work on her. It was a shame that he'd taken out 
his rage on her when it was her mother who caused all the problems in his family. Callie's innocence was going to cost her dearly in Lopez's grasp. Micah groaned aloud as he began to imagine what might happen to her now, and it would be his fault. He packed his suitcase and checked out of the motel. On the way to the airport, he went by Cy Park's place to tell him what was going on. Ed was on enough already. Micah hated the thought of putting more on him. Besides, Cy would be miffed if he was left out of this. He had his own reasons for wanting Lopez brought down. The vengeful drug lord had endangered the life of Cy's bride, Lisa, and the Tankton Rancher wouldn't rest easy until Lopez got what was coming to him. He sympathized with Micah about Callie's kidnapping and Jack Stills' danger. To Micah's relief, he also volunteered to have one of his men, former law enforcement officer, keep a covert eye on his father just in case. That relieved Micah's troubled mind. He drove to the airport, left the rented Porsche in the parking lot with the attendant, and boarded the plane to Belize. Then he went to work. Callie came to, came to in a limousine. She was trussed up like a calf in a bulldogging competition, wrists and ankles bound, and a gag in her mouth. The three men who'd kidnapped her, her were conversating. They weren't speaking Spanish. She heard at least one Arabic word that she understood. At once, she knew that they were Manuel Lopez's men, that Micah had told the truth about the danger she and Jack were in. It was too late now, though. She'd been careless, and she'd been snatched. She lowered her eyelids with one of when one of the men glanced toward her, pretending to still be groggy, hoping for a chance to escape. Bound as she was, that seemed impossible. She shifted a little, noticing with comfort the feel of the tiny cell phone she slipped into her slacks pocket before leaving the office. If they didn't frisk her, she might get a call out. She remembered what she'd heard about Lopez, and her blood ran cold. She couldn't drag her wrists out of the bonds. They felt like ropes, not handcuffs. Her arm was sore. She wondered if perhaps they'd given her a shot, a sedative of some sort. She must have been out of very long time. It had been late afternoon when she'd been kidnapped. Now it was almost dawn. She wished she had a drink of water. The big limousine ate up the mile. She had some vague sensation that she'd been on an airplane. Perhaps they'd flown to an airport and that the car had parked them picked them up. If only she could see out the window. They were undefined shadows out there. They looked like trees, a lot of trees. Her vision was slightly blurred, and she felt as if her limbs were made of iron. It was difficult to concentrate and more difficult to try to move. What had they given her? One man spoke urgently to the other, indicated Callie. He smiled and replied with a low, deep chuckle. Callie noticed that they had her blouse that her blouse had come apart in the struggle. Her bra was visible, and those men were staring at her as if they had every right. She felt sick to her soul. It didn't take knowledge, didn't take knowing the language to figure out what they were saying. She was completely innocent, but before this ordeal was over, she knew she never would be again. She felt a wave of grief wash over her. Only Micah had put hadn't pushed her away that Christmas. Now it was too late. Her first and last experience of men was going to be a nightmarish one, if she even lived through it. That, that seemed doubtful. Once the drug lord discovered that Micah had no affection for his stepsister, that he actually hated her and wouldn't soil his hands paying a ransom, she was going to be killed. She knew what happened in kidnappings. Most people knew. It had never occurred to her that she would ever figure in one. How ironic that she was poor and unattractive and that hadn't sp spared her this expense. She wondered dimly what Micah would say when he knew she was missing. He'd probably feel well rid of her, but he might pay the ransom for her father's sake. Someone had to look after Jack Steele, something this only child couldn't apparently be bothered to do. Callie loved the old man and would have gladly sacrificed her life for him. That made her valuable in at least one way. The one bright spot in all of this was that once word of Callie's kidnapping got out, Micah would hire a bodyguard. 
for Jack, whether he wanted one or not, Jack would be safe. She wished she knew some sort of self-defense, some way of protecting herself, or of getting loose from the ropes and the gag that was slowly strangling her. She hadn't had time for lunch the day before, and she'd been drugged for the whole night and into the next morning. She was sick and weak from hunger and thirst, and she really had to go to the bathroom. It was a bad day all round. She closed her eyes and wished she'd locked her car doors and sped out of reach of her assailants. There was a next time. If she lived to repeat her mistakes, she'd never repeat that one. She shifted because her legs were cramping and she felt even sicker. Listening to the men converse in Arabic, she realized her abductors weren't from Mexico. But as she looked out the window now, she could see the long, narrow, paved ribbon of road running through what looked like rainforest. She'd never been to the Yucatan, but she knew what it looked like from volumes of books she'd collected on Mayan relics. Her heart sank. She knew what Manuel Lope... She knew that Manuel Lopez lived near Cancun. She knew she was in the Yucatan. Her worst fears were realized. Only minutes later, the called po car pulled into a long paved driveway through tall steel gates. The gates closed behind them. They sped up to an impressive whitewashed beach house overlooking a rocky bay. It had red cementic tiles, and the grounds were immaculate and full of blooming flowers. Hibacus in November. She could have laughed hysterically. Back home, the trees were bare, and her, and here everything was blooming. She wondered what sort of fertilizer they used to grow those hibachuses, flowers so big. Then she remembered Lopez's recent body count. She wondered if she might end up planted in his garden. The car stopped. The door was opened by a suited, dark man holding an automatic rifle of some sort. One of those little snub-nosed machine guns that crooks on television always seem to carry. She winced as the man dragged her out of the car and frog-marched her, bounds and all, into the ceramic tile-floored lobby. The tile was black and white, like a chessboard. There was a long, graceful staircase and over... And an overhead, a crystal chandelier that looked like water-forward crystal, probably cost two or three times the price of her car. As she reached her surroundings, a searched her surroundings, a small middle-aged man strolled out of the living room with his hands in his pockets. He didn't smile. He walked around Kelly as if she were some sort of curiosity. Courtesy, his full lips pursed, his small dark eyes narrowed and smugly gleaming. He jerked her gaggle. Miss Kirby, he murmured in accented English. Welcome to my home. I am Manuel Lopez. You will be my guest until your interfering stepbrother tries to rescue you, he added, hesitating in front of her. And when he arrives, I will give him what my men have left of you before I kill him too. Kelly thought that she'd never seen such cruelty in a human being's eyes in her life. The man made her knees shake. He was looking at her with contempt and possession. He reached out a stubby hand and ripped her blouse down in front, burying her small breasts in their cotton bra. I've expected a more attractive woman, he said. Sadly, you have no attractions with which to bargain, have you? Small breasts and a body that would afford little satisfaction. But Kalad likes women, he mused, glancing at the small dark man who'd been sitting across from Kelly. When I need information, he is the man who obtains it for me. And although I need no information from you, Miss Kirby, it will please Kelly to practice his skills. A rapid fire burst of foreign language met the statement. Espanol, Lopez Nap. You know, I don't understand Arabic. The woman, one of the other men, replied in Spanish. Before you give her to Khalid, let us have her. Lopez glanced at the two thin, unshaved men who delivered Cali to him as well. Why not? I'll make you a present of her. It should arouse even more guilt in her stepbrother to find her. 
use. But not until I tell you, he added coldly. But now, take her to the empty servants' room upstairs and put the gag back in place, he added. Even putting guests arriving, I would not want them to be disturbed by an unexpected noise. My stepbrother won't come to rescue me, she said hoarsely shocked. He isn't a physical sort of man. Aren't you going to ask him to pay ransom? Lopez looked at her as if she were not. Why do you think still will not come after you? He's a doctor, or he was studying to be one. You would know the first thing about rescuing somebody. Lopez seemed to find that reason. Besides that, she added also, he hates me. He'll probably laugh his head off when he knows you've got me. He can't stand the sight of me. That seemed to disturb Lopez, but after a minute, he shook. No, no importe, he said lightly. If he comes, that will be good. If not, it will make him even more concerned for his father. Who will be, he added with a cold smile. Next, she filled my wrath. Kelly had her mouth open to ask another question, but at a signal from Lopez, she was half dragged out of the room, her pale blue eyes as wide as saucers as she shivered with fear. End of chapter one.